so the beginning of the service, we talked about how worship is a choice. And today we're going to be talking about worship. Um, and, you know, every week we gather here to worship together. But mainly what we're going to be talking about today is how we worship in our own individual lives and in our own hearts and what worship really means throughout the life of a believer. Uh, the word worship comes from the Old English word worship, which means to acknowledge the worth of something. In Hebrew, the word worship is often translated from the word shaka, which means to bow down. In Greek, the word is prokunio, which means to go down on your knees or to do reverence. So boiled down to its most basic definition, worship is acknowledging the worthiness of God and bowing in reverence to him. So what does that look like in our hearts? First, it involves sacrifice. In 1925, Frederick Lewis Donaldson, an Anglican priest, shared in a sermon what he called the seven social sins. Phil mentioned this last week, and the last of these sins is worship without sacrifice. Sacrifice is one of the central themes in the Bible. In fact, you might say it is the central theme of the Bible, with Jesus culminating as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And worship starts in Genesis. And in fact, in Genesis 4, we have this story about sacrifice in the story of Cain and Abel. So this is from Genesis chapter 4, halfway through verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, I find it interesting that in this passage, there's no description of Cain's offering. We just get the description of Abel's offering. It doesn't say, and then Cain brought some rotten tomatoes, burned them on the fire, and then checked, made sacrifice to God off his to-do list. No, it just, it just says he brought some fruits. Now, you could say that because of the way the Bible describes Abel's offering, that he prioritized it, that, that he gave his best, and then Cain, his brother, just went through the motions. Now, this is what it looks like to Offers, offers something of worship without sacrificing anything. It's, it's offering what's convenient instead of something meaningful. That would be like, uh, since I, I really don't like olives, um, but my wife loves olives. So if I give her the olives off my plate and she's like, yeah, thanks, I love olives. But, but when I have something that I value, like a chocolate bar or a really delicious smoothie, and I don't offer to share that with her, that's, that's not showing her how much she means to me. So in the second part of verse 4, it's no surprise that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And one thing I remember about growing up was that my parents always encouraged us to work hard and to do our best, but they didn't grade us on the, the report card score. 
they just wanted us to do our best. And which was kind of confusing because at school, you're always comparing yourself to the other kids. Like, oh, I got a 94. Oh, oh I got a 97. And it's, it's like a competition. But the reality is you can study twice as hard as your friend in school and you can get half the grade. But if you really go for it and you try your best, even if you fail, there's something very laudable about that because it shows character. That's why we seem to gravitate towards stories of growth instead of just stories of success. Jesus points this out in Mark chapter 12 when he praises a woman who put in two copper coins saying that she gave more than anyone else because her giving was sacrificial. Hebrews 13 echoes this theme of sacrifice. It reads, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good, to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. This passage shows us that worship is both praise with our lips and praise with our actions. Both are required as signs of proper worship. If you say you love Jesus, but you only worship him on Sunday, you're not doing it. You're not doing it right. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 pushes this idea further. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what my dad was after one Friday night on, on my way to youth group. See, there had been lots of transitions in the youth, and we were with our second transitional youth leader, and I just, it wasn't fun anymore, you know? I didn't want to go. So I was, I was like 15 and I was like, dad, I just, I want to stay home tonight. Like, I don't want to go. I just better to stay here and watch some TV. And he was like, this isn't about you. And I was like, what? Like this program is designed for me. Like, I'm, I'm, like it's literally designed for me. And he was like, no, this is not about you. This is about how you can help others your age stay close to Jesus. And you may not need it for your spiritual growth, but they do for theirs. And I was like, what? Like, so bizarre. But that stuck with me. When we come here today, what are we offering up as a sacrifice to God? What do you offer up to God when you wake up on Wednesday morning? Or on Saturday, when you're at home with your family? What are you offering up to God? When you're at work and your coworker is disrespectful to you or you feel betrayed, what are you offering to God? And we live in a very consumeristic world where it's all about the product, about what you get. But in the Bible times, worship is never about what you went up to the temple to receive from God, but it was always about what you went up to the temple to offer up to God as a sacrifice. Cain brought something to God. Abel brought his best offering to God. 
and seeing God bless his brother's offering, but not his own, created so much turmoil in Cain's heart that he grew to hate his brother. Bringing the worship without the sacrifice not only starves you of God's blessing, but it causes you to hate your brother. Don't allow yourself to make that mistake. Let's look at this story from 2 Samuel verse, 2 Samuel chapter 24. Sorry. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord has commanded through Gad. When Araunah looked and saw the king and his officials coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Araunah said, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, may the lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Hmm. I love that. I love what David says. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burn offerings that cost me nothing. So if worship requires sacrifice, we need to keep into perspective that worship is because of who God is. And he is worthy, as we sang before, worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worship is the way our hearts naturally respond to who God is. And a pastor from Australia by the name of Robert Bax writes this. If you're looking for good worship, you need look no further than the nearest rock concert or sporting event. Now think about your favorite sports moment or going to see your favorite band in concert. Don't you cheer when they score the touchdown or the goal and chant with the organ? And maybe at, your, at the favorite concert, you remember, don't you sing along with your favorite songs? Maybe you jump up and down at the front and you clap when the song ends. Have you ever thought about why we do that? Maybe, maybe it's because we want the team to know that we believe in them, that, that if we just cheer hard enough, they can come back from a 5-1 deficit. Maybe you want to express your joy and excitement just just at the, at the mere fact that you're sharing a room with some of the people who, who are the most talented in their field? Is it because they are really amazing at what they do? If their track record has convinced you that they can come up from a 5-1 deficit, how much more 
does God's faithfulness promise that he can do impossible things? If being in their presence gets you excited, how much more should being in God's presence? If they are amazing at what they do, how much more amazing is God at what he does? Throughout the Bible, worship and praise is often a direct response to God doing something amazing. Miriam leads the people in worship after they cross the Red Sea and the sea collapses on Pharaoh's armies. Noah builds an altar after surviving the flood with his family. Throughout the Psalms, we are commanded to worship because he is good. His love endures forever. Our goal as worship leaders is to prompt that response in each of you by using songs that show who God is. Worship is a response to a revelation of who God is. I remember when Johanna and I started dating, uh, each time we would hang out together, I would discover something new about her, a new facet to her personality. That's what makes getting to know someone so exciting. Five years in, I'm still learning new things about her and feeling lucky all over again. God, knowing God can be like that. I remember one time uh, when I was still a bachelor, I discovered this song. Uh, it's called Beautiful, and it's by Phil Wickham. We're going to sing it after, after, this, uh, after the message, but this verse just like hit me like a ton of bricks, and it was like I was realizing for the first time that God was beautiful. It was, it was incredible, and I was just, I was just crying, and I, was just, like, I, sa- I sang it over and over. I think I sang it over and over for like three hours, just weeping. The verse goes like this. It says, I see your face in every sunrise. The colors of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the day. I look up to the sky and say, you're beautiful. Sometimes our worship is directly inspired by discovering a new facet of who God is. And though we long for that experience every time we sing, it doesn't always happen. Worship is not only the reaction of our hearts to the revelation of who God is, but also a response to God's royalty. God is forever amazing, good, just, forgiving, faithful, powerful, awe-inspiring, and most of all, worthy of our worship. There's a, there's a story um, that George II, when he heard the Hallelujah Chorus for the first time, he stood up because he said, I felt I was in the presence of God. And that's what you did in that culture. When the king stood up, everybody had to stand up. So of course, King George II stood up because he was in the presence of God. And then everybody else had to stand up because the king had stood up. We worship because God is worthy. Now, let's put that aside just for a minute. And we're going to explore the different ways that we worship. Because it's our, it's our hope that every day we would worship, not just here on Sundays. So Ravi Zacharias points to these four categories of our worship. The first is praise, which is what we've already done today. It's the singing, it's the bowing and reverence, it's the dancing, it's the declaring with our voices who God is. The second is teaching. Now, while praise is a reaction 
to who God is. Teaching is the way in which we learn how to be living sacrifices, how to do good and share with others, how to be like Christ. When we listen to teaching, we are submitting ourselves to God and we're saying, help me to change God. Help me to be like you. And there's more to teaching than preaching. How many of you, I wonder, have become isolated for one reason or another and have withdrawn your gifts of experience from the body of Christ out of fear of rejection? Don't discredit yourselves. The enemy would just love for us to keep our experiences and what we've learned to ourselves instead of sharing them with the next generation. Uh, Don't discredit yourself if you're young either. Youthfulness brings a vibrancy and willingness to take risk and aim high that is needed in order to help us listen to God and to what God might be doing in our city and our nation. One of my goals as a worship leader is to help the young and the old and all the in-between folks learn to appreciate the values that the others bring and live in rich lives because of them. The onus is on all of us to cross the aisle and start making connections with others. If you don't know where to start, I found a good question is simply, what's your story? Tell me your story. You'll be amazed at what you can learn. The next area of worship is giving. We just finished a sermon series on giving. Uh, It's this wonderful thing that we can all do better. It very much relates back to the story of Cain and Abel, that we can give like Cain or we can give like Abel. Let, Let me just challenge all of us today. You might feel like you don't make enough money to start giving, but it's not true. There isn't a single person in this room who doesn't have enough money to give. The widow in in Mark 12 gave all that she had, just two pennies. When I was a kid, my parents made me tithe on my allowance, which was only five bucks a week. So every Sunday, I would come to the service and I would put my 50 cents in the offering. When we give, it forces us to know how much money we make and where it's going. So in my life, uh, this is what that looked like. Around my fourth year of university, I started working in the summer and uh, I had a job that had a regular income. So I wrote down how much money I was getting. And then I wrote down, okay, so 10% of that is this. That's going to God. And then I said, well, rent costs this. Food costs about this. And then I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live on whatever's left. We're going we're gonna to make it work. But when you, when you go through that process and you start living disciplined with the money that you spend, you start to feel the freedom that comes with that as you track your money just even just a little bit and give the first 10% to God. You start to feel the pressure of money slide off your shoulders. This is the freedom God promises each of us when we worship him with our wallets. Sacrifice what you have now and invest in the kingdom because where your treasure is, your heart will be also.
The fourth area of worship Ravi writes about is prayer. Prayer that is worshipful is prayer that align our, aligns our hearts with, with God's. When we pray before the service each week, we are asking God, how can we partner with you today as you transform your church? How, Jesus, are you praying for KGF this morning? What's your heart and plan for us today? Each day when you wake up, are you aligning your heart with God's? Are you submitting to his will? God can speak to us when we pray. Sometimes through a feeling, sometimes through a word, sometimes through his word, and sometimes through a picture. I'd invite you to start setting aside even just five minutes every morning to pray, to kneel down and ask God to speak to you. I find when I kneel, it, it actually humbles me. Like I actually feel like I'm being carved into the image of Christ just a little bit every time I kneel. This will become a place of solitude for you and will help you weather life storms if you just set aside five minutes every morning to submit your will to God. As we close with a final song and Christina comes back up to the front, uh, I'd like to read the rest of Romans 12. This is a really amazing chapter. I'd encourage you to read it this week, maybe as homework if you want to think of it that way. Read Romans 12. It's just amazing. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is how we should operate as the body of Christ. This is our sacrifice of worship.